Beloved congregation of the Lord, shall we read again in Hebrews chapter 12? And look with me at the fifth, fifth and sixth verse. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. wonder if you've ever looked at the logo which our church denomination has. Like many denominations, we have a, a special picture and that represents who we are, and you can find that if you would, for example, look at our denomination website. And if you ever paid attention to that, what you see is there is a picture of Moses, and you're looking at his back, and he is standing before the burning bush. And right there you can see the text of Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, and the bush was not consumed. It's reminding us, isn't it, of that historical event in the life of Moses when he was called to the ministry. And you might be wondering, well, isn't that kind of an unusual picture to represent a church? Well, if you think about it, there's actually a lot of parallels with the church of Jesus Christ and that burning bush. You see the church's set apart from every other group of people as that people who enjoy the presence of God, which that that flaming fire was representing. But as well, just like that burning bush, the church is preserved against all the things in this world that would threaten to consume it. Just as through a miracle of God, that bush was, was burning and burning, but not consumed, so also the church of Jesus Christ is a special object of God's preserving grace. And I think that maybe in a special way, our church family can testify of this. We know that in, in our history as a church family, there, there have been many things that have been setbacks, even hardships and and tragedies that we can all look upon over the years if you've been in this church for a number of years. And we know as well that in the personal lives of members of our church family right now, there are those who are going through very hard things, hard providences, we would say, trials and afflictions. And teaching of the, the word of God is that for the, the son or daughter of the king of heaven, these things are not accidents. These are not things that are separated from God's will, but rather he has a plan and a purpose even for the, the very hard things that would happen to the Christian. And it's kind of comprehended in this word that we see in our text, the word chastening or chastisement. It's something that is 
The special focus of this 12th chapter of, he, of the epistle to the Hebrews. And it sort of comprehends, really, all of the instruction that a father or a teacher would give to a child. It's the discipline, we could say, that has its goal bringing someone into maturity. So sometimes we can think about discipline as something positive, where we say, well, you know, you're a very disciplined person. You exert yourself towards your goals. That's sort of the positive element. Or we could say uh, discipline in the negative sense, where we might say to our, our son or daughter, come over here, you need some discipline. And if you think about both the positive and the negative of that word, you, you get this sense something of the, the word in the Greek that's translated cha- chastening, the chastening of the Lord. You see, life for the Christian is, as it were, entering into a school each and every day of your life. God has a purpose for everything that would befall you, including those things that are very hard and painful that you would go through. And that's especially what this passage focuses on. What happens when we are going through the chastening of the Lord in a very painful way? Well, that's what I'd like to consider. And we'll consider some of the surrounding context this morning, but for the morning, let's just take verses 5 and 6 as the focus of our sermon. We'll consider this under the theme, the Lord's chastening of his children. The Lord's chastening of his children. And this morning, we hope to consider two thoughts about this theme in this chapter. First, the experience of it, the experience of this chastening. And second, the purposes for it, the purposes of this chastening. Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord, I I cannot water down the truth of the Holy Scriptures. As the Apostle Paul said, it is through much affliction much tribulation that we will enter into the kingdom of God. This is something that every generation of of Christians is acquainted with, that if you would give your life unto the Lord, and if you would live a life devoted to believing in his promises and obeying his commands, it is a life of great difficulty and hardship which you will experience. It's not just a a ticket to an easy life, by by no means. In fact, the message of our text is that that is the total opposite of what it is to be a Christian. And the apostle who wrote Hebrews, he's especially directing these words as an exhortation, he says, trying to exhort those who are in the midst of very terrible fires of persecution. You see, the Jewish church in Jerusalem had separated itself from those who had rejected the Messiah, the majority of the Jewish nation. And you can read in 
Hebrews chapter 10 about how their property was taken from them, how they were, were scorned and attacked in, in every way by their fellow Jews, and even the vision of families, those who stood with Christ and those who stood against him. Painful, painful divisions in the most close of bonds. And so this whole epistle to the Hebrews, as we've, we've seen in the past, it is devoted to setting forth the excellency of Jesus Christ and how superior he and his salvation are to all the, the, those things which the religion of the Jews uh, would offer them. And here, he is giving a, a bit of a rebuke, you notice, here in verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So there you see that the apostle is quoting from the book of Proverbs, specifically Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. And if you're familiar with the book of the Proverbs, you know that those early chapters are written as a loving father and instructor to his son, who's being brought up to an age of maturity. Though that book was written by King Solomon as a prophet and teacher of the church, it was the spirit of the living God that spoke through him. And it was that spirit of the Lord which yet spoke in the days of the apostle and also today. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaks present tense unto you as unto children. You see, that is how the word of God is. It's not a, a dead word. It's not an outdated word. It's not an irrelevant word. It is the word of God to you and to me. There is a message for each and every person here. And so it was in, in that day. But at that season of, of, uh, of persecution, which the church was going through, these particular Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were being unsettled in their faith. And they had forgotten what the Word of God said about this doctrine of divine chastisement. And so... I'd like to, to look in the first place about what it is we can learn about the experience of a believer under the chastening hand of the Lord. What it is like to be a true Christian who is chastened in this way. The first thing I think we need to face from what the text is saying here is that it can be extraordinarily painful to be under the chastening of the Lord. And as I said, it does have a broader significance. You could say that both the blessings and the happy times, as well as the sad and painful times, they all serve to the instruction of the Christian. But here it's especially the latter that we are seeing. For you look in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every man, every son 
whom he receiveth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now that word scourging in our Bible, it's a very accurate translation. It's exactly what you get from the original. When you scourge someone with a, with a whip as a punishment, you know what that's like. Uh, not personally, but from history books. When that was a practice of punishment, you'd, you'd be tied up and your back would be exposed to the whip and over and over You'd feel that in your skin and in your flesh until the allotted punishment had been administered. This isn't something that is small that we're talking about here. This is a source of great pain. That's the kind of thing that we, we are seeing here. And it's intensified if you look at verse 11 where it says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. This is obviously speaking about grief, sorrow of heart, that it comes from the chastening of the Lord. And if you look at the specific context of this, you you get to see really what what is going on in verse 4, right before our text. He says, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So what it's saying here is that all the persecution you are going through, all of the attacks upon your persons, your property, all of the severed relationships from those who are dear to you, that is part of a war, part of a struggle. Striving against sin, it says. You see, when it comes to the hardships of life, everyone, no matter whether they're a Christian or not, they can know something of that. It's a hard world we live in. Lots of people experience sad times. But for a Christian who has been instructed in the word of God, who believes it from the heart, who understands the kind of God with whom we have to do, one who is the Lord of heaven and earth, one whose hand is in all things, one who is not passive but active in our circumstances. They have to see even the hard things as coming from the hand of the God that they have trusted in. And so... While, while something could be a great scourge in, in your life, apart from, from anything else, whether you're going through great loneliness and isolation, whether your, your health is failing, whether you're tasked with caring for someone that you, you love and, and you see them fading away, whether your dreams for the future are shattered and unsettled and, and your life is thrown into confusion, whether you've made a sacrifice for a principled stand that you've taken and it just seems so unjust. No matter what it may be, whether it's mourning of a, of a deceased loved one or, or mourning a loved one who is unconverted, all of these things they become much more intense and hard when we come to see that they come from the hand of the Lord. 
even the very core of our being, our, our faith in the living God, it can come to see that, that this is a, a very hard thing. How can I trust in a God who would bring all these circumstances in my life? Whether you've been in that place before or there right now or maybe in the future, sooner or later every Christian will have to face that dilemma. So we see that this is a very painful experience, the chasing of the Lord in, in this connection. But it also is, is a place of great spiritual danger to be in, in this situation. And so there's these two warnings that we see here. First, you'll, you'll see that it warns against despising. Here you see in verse 5, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Now, of course, that would not have to be said if it were not a very real temptation that the child of God would experience. We can be prone when we are experiencing the Lord's chastening to despise it. And here it can... It can cover, the, the word here, it can cover those who are actually grumbling and, and complaining, those who think hard thoughts of God, who even have a kind of bitterness towards God. It's not the, the, the normal tenor of a child of God, but they can fall into that kind of, kind of sin. But it can also take more subtle forms, this despising. It can also have the more subtle nuance of not treating as important, not really considering, sort of ignoring or, or looking at other things as more important. That is probably more the sense that's included here. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. That's a... Terrible danger, isn't it, when especially we're neglecting the application of the Word of God to our personal lives. When we're not in the Word, receiving it as God's Word to us and applying it to all the circumstances in our life. When we are living in that way, we are liable to treat all the things that happen in our life as just so many accidents as things that are separated from God's will and plan and intention for our lives. And so we, we simply don't give it another thought. And then we, we resort to kind of worldly wisdom and, and worldly attitudes and worldly resources in order to struggle through a particular hardship. Indeed, it's sometimes said that Christians can live as practical atheists, as those who, yes, know that there is a God and, and believe in this God, and yet do not live in the light of what they believe, but rather live as the world. A terrible danger, despising the chasing of the, of the Lord, not giving it a thought. But also there's this danger and, and that is warned about, and that is fainting, fainting. He says, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. 
And you could sort of see this as sort of the opposite danger. Here is someone who actually has received this particular chastisement as something from the Lord. They know it comes from him, and so they are rebuked. They, they recognize it. This is from God, and they are, they are thinking about it. But the response is, is not really to their improvement, not to their spiritual advancement at all. What is it that you see here? Well, they faint. They grow weary. They grow despairing. Maybe they grow lethargic and, and paralyzed, unable to exercise the graces of the Christian life as they, as they once did. They are, they are knocked and down and shattered by the kind of affliction that they are, are going through. And I think that's, that's pretty clear if you look at the, the latter exhortation that's given in, in verses 12 and 13. He has to say to these Christians, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. What you can see there, if you add up all those exhortations, is that this is someone who indeed has, has become wearied and, and faint as a result of the chastening of the Lord. And so their, their hands are not active in serving the Lord. Their, their feet are, have become weak and, and wobbly as they're walking the Christian life. They're, they're in danger of going out of the way, going on to various temptations that the world has to offer, maybe to bitterness and to resentment, maybe to fleshly lusts and, and temptations, maybe to just distraction and and selfishness from those around them. Whatever it is, not walking in the way that the Lord would have them. It's a great danger when these sort of things happen. And, and what it all traces back to is that the chastening of the Lord is not received in faith that it may be to our good. But rather, it, it leads us to doubt His mercy towards us. And indeed, it, it drives us to a place of despair and discouragement and depression so that we're liable to faint. And yet, these dangers are not just addressed here, but they are, are warned against. With all the authority of God, I say to you today, if you are tempted towards either of these dangers... My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And really the, the logic of the text as to how it is that we are to escape these temptations is that we would give attention to the purposes behind God's chastening. This is really the marked difference between those who are without God and hope in the world and the child of God. We're not living life as though we were just uh, caught up in a great machine that was going to chew us up and, and spit us out. No. For the child of God, there is both an awareness and a settled conviction 
that they are in the hands of a loving Father. And so I'd like to look with, with you under this consideration, the purposes for God's chastening, and especially looking at, at verse 6 here. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Maybe you want to say, how does that possibly make sense? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That's very counter to the way the world thinks, isn't it? Today, of course, it's a, it's a culture that would treat any kind of chastening that brings pain, they would treat that as, as the total opposite of an act of love. Of course, the, the whole biblical philosophy that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. If you don't spank your children when they're naughty, they will grow up to live careless and immoral lives, not understanding what is right and what is wrong in, in the way that God has appointed for them. And so maybe our culture, even in the church sometimes, is resistant to the idea that the Lord can chasten, even in a painful way, as a motive of love. And yet, that's exactly what's set forth here. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Every son. It's not just any love that's spoken of here, but the love of a father for a son. And is there anyone who, who is a father here who would say that there's anything that you would not do for the safety and well-being of your children? Is there any true father, any true dad who would not lay down their lives to protect their children? Any father who would, would willingly withhold what he knows to be for their good and for their profit. The Lord, the Lord Jesus in his parables would often reason in this way. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's a, there's a rationale there. That the love of a father for his children is something that is, is so precious. And that is how God speaks to his people here. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. I'm reminded of what, for example, the Apostle John said in 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Has it ever struck you as such a great wonder, this miracle of adoption, whereby sinful men and women like you and I and be brought into God's family of grace. Psalm 103, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That's not 
with indifference that the Lord looks upon the suffering of his children. No matter how much we may richly deserve to be punished in God's wrath, that is the furthest thing from what we see here. Yes, indeed, the the word of God says that, that God is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 7. God indeed has burning wrath against those who are outside Christ, who will not repent of their sins and believe upon his Son. But for those who are adopted into his family of grace, there is such boundless love that flows out from the heart of God for his children, even when they are afflicted. It says in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Speaking especially there about the wilderness wanderings of the people of God under the old old covenant. And what a, a striking thing. The God who never changes, the God of infinite blessedness and utter pure perfection, that he should say in all their affliction, even the affliction that they brought upon themselves as a result of their sins, he himself was afflicted and sent the angel of his presence, even the pre-incarnate Christ, to save them. That's the kind of God and Father that the Christian has to do with. As a God who chastens in love. And this is something that you have no right to question, believer. If you are looking unto Christ, if you are adopted into his family of grace, and what is it that God says to you today, but with Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I love thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. This adopting love, it goes back even from eternity. God, out of mere grace and good pleasure, sets his love upon a sinful people whom he would separate unto himself and draw unto himself in love. And really, it's, it's in looking unto Jesus, the one who brings the salvation, that we come to truly know the love of Christ and the love of God in Christ. Notice, that's how this chapter especially begins back in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's that which must characterize our lives, brothers and sisters, if we would truly build our lives upon the love of God. That is manifested in the coming of his Son, in that back that was scourged for us, in that head that was, was pierced with that crown of thorns for us, in those hands and feet that were nailed for us, in that death which he offered up for us, in all the suffering and affliction that he bore for us. 
says, For the sake of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What joy has the Son of God in his chosen church? And each one who is a Christian appointed unto everlasting life, he willingly suffered and died for them individually. And when we behold that, when we look into that with the eyes of faith, we come to see that surely everything in life must come from love towards us. God so loved us that he would even lay down his own son as an offering for us. No right to question his love when it comes to the chastising that we experience. So that, in the first place, I would emphasize the purpose for it is is a loving purpose. But what is this loving purpose? And particularly in, in your life, say if you're under the chastening rod right now, well, let me suggest a, a number of possibilities that would not come from a condemnation towards you, but if you are indeed righteous in God's sight through Jesus Christ, then this is why you may be chastened. It's not the, the first possibility, one of correction. One of correction. And it's especially held forth in our, our text, isn't it? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he received. And back in the other ver- verse, it spoke of um, when thou art rebuked of him. So there, it's setting forth this possibility. Could it be that the Lord would bring chastening into your life because of sin in your life? Well, indeed, it's, it's not just a possibility. It is a reality. The Lord says that he does this. And you can see that, uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 31 to 32. In that circumstance, there was a congregation that was despising the Lord's Supper. They were, were using the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And a great judgment came upon that congregation. And it says in, in verse, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that he, we should not be condemned with the world. Now, this is not a, a strict judgment according to strict justice, whereby God's perfect standard of holiness and righteousness must be met. No, this is speaking more of, of that correction which the Lord would give you when you know that you are living in sin. When you know that you are, are harboring ill will towards your neighbor. And there is bitterness and resentment taking hold in your life towards others. When it is that you're neglecting prayer and, and neglecting the means of grace, whether it's the reading of scriptures or, or intentionally missing the, the public preaching of the Lord, the Lord indeed has this way of getting hold of you of bringing great difficulties and trials in your life in order that you would be humbled at your sin, in order that you would mourn it and confess it. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, 
For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so how wonderful it is that the Lord does meet with us in this way. Through the chastenings that he brings in our lives, he brings us to that place of true sorrow so that we would confess and forsake our sin. Let's also suggest this possibility. It's not always the case that the, um, that the chastenings that the Lord brings in our lives, they, they have this, a, a correction for a specific sin. Sometimes it can also be for our protection, for our protection. And you can see that, for example, in uh, how the Apostle Paul records this in his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. So here Paul is kind of giving a, a testimony about a great difficulty and, and circumstance in his life, which he refers to as a thorn. Now listen to how he describes this. And lest I be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So here you have a, a mature child of God who strove to keep his conscience void of offense before both God and man, someone who was serious about holiness. And yet even this one, Paul, he was spiritually discerning enough to see that there was this specific purpose for the Lord bringing some kind of trial in his life, whether that was a physical pain or, or some kind of spiritual uh, trauma or whether it was something else in his life. It's described as a thorn, something that was always with him, always burdening him, always paining him. And the Lord knew, Paul, You've been given so much in the way of spiritual gifts to minister unto my people. And if it were the case that you would not have this chastening in your life, you would be elevated in pride. You would see yourself as just a little bit better than everyone else. And you'd fall into some kind of terrible temptation and destroy your ministry. And so even though he prays, and he, he prays for it to be lifted, he knows that the Lord's wisdom is greater. And isn't that so much the case? You know, sometimes we think that we could plan out our lives so perfectly. It all needs to, to unfold according to our plan, we think. And so we want this to happen at this time. And then this can happen. And then this will make us really happy. And then we can go on to this level of attainment and, and whatever it might be. But do you know what would happen if you got exactly the life that you wanted? If the Lord just said yes, yes, yes to every whim that came into your, your prayers and heart? Well, surely it would destroy us. Surely, if everything was easy, if everything went according to our plans, surely that we would fall into the sin of pride or some other temptation or, or something that the Lord only knows that we are capable of. And so there's this that, that can especially be, be at play here. 
But if you keep on reading that, that passage from 2 Corinthians, you'll, you'll notice that there's this as well that can be behind the chastening of the Lord, and that is a greater experience of God. You notice 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul is continuing to reflect upon Paul's chasing, uh, God's chastening in his life. And this is what he says in verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul sees this as well. It's through God bringing all these chastenings into his life that Paul is able to experience more of God's grace and love towards him. Haven't you found that? When things are easy, when things are going well, you sort of think you can carry on in your own strength. Maybe you continue to pray and you continue to come to the worship services. But really, words like, Lord, give us this, our daily bread. It doesn't really have the same kind of impact until you actually know what it's like to worry where your next meal will come from. It's one thing to, to pray for the Lord's favor and blessing in your life. It's another thing to cry out to him to just sustain you through this day because you're so overwrought with grief or terror or sorrow. It's those times where he brings you to the very end of yourself. He brings you beyond what you could ever think you were capable of sustaining. And it's there. It's there that you come to see that the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it actually is enough. It actually is reliable. It actually will support your way. It will keep you from plunging into utter despair. It will keep you from fainting. It will keep you from turning aside to all the other, other things that would provide comfort and solace. It's that. It's that that is so valuable to the child of God when you really have come to see that God's love is for you, if he has sealed that in a special way to your soul, would you trade that for anything? Even if it, it came through a hand that was filled with afflictions and sorrows, would you trade a life free of cares and sorrows for a life where you did not come to experience God's presence in your life in the way that you can? It's that which the Lord can be pleased to use for our good in the way of experience. But in the, the third and last place uh, this morning, I'd like to also consider how it concerns our usefulness. How it concerns our usefulness. And I'd like to bring you back to that very familiar story that we, we read in John chapter 9, where Jesus was passing by and he, he saw a man who was blind from his youth. And the disciples sort of asked him, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
That was sort of their logic. Surely there must be some kind of sin that would bring this tragedy to bear. Why this terrible disability in this man's life? You remember what Jesus said to them. He said, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That's it. Manifesting God's works in his life. We know how that worked, right? In this man's life, it was a marvelous deliverance, a miraculous power by the blind was able to see. But is that the only way in which we can see God at work in someone's life? Yes, we, we pray for healing. We pray for sustaining when someone we love has, has some kind of medical problem or some other difficulty in life. We pray for their good. Sometimes when it comes to our own personal lives, I wonder if we have the courage to pray that if it would please him that we would suffer for the sake of Christ and therefore his sustaining grace would be evident in our lives. I wonder how many of you, it, it was by looking at someone in your life who did walk with the Lord, who was sustained by him when, when everything else seemed to fail. And you came to look at them and say, I want what that person has. I want that kind of strength from above that I could never have in myself. I want, I want to know that God who seems to just make really what the Apostle Paul was getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, when someone in your life is really hurting, sometimes you, you despair that you're going to sound like Job's friends. You're just going to give sort of pat answers. and You're just going to drive them to more and more grief and sorrow because you don't really know what it's like to enter into that kind of pain. But when the Lord does lead you through something like that, even the dark valleys of the shadow of death upon your life, and suddenly you're able to speak to others, and you're able to comfort others, and you're able to say, let me take you to the one who can help you. If we would be used of the Lord in that way, then we must come to recognize that even the, the worst things that bring us to that point, from our perspective, they have a wise and a good purpose. Maybe we will never really understand this side of eternity. But I am persuaded that when we come to see all the beautiful tapestry of, of God's plan in history, even as, as our little threads are interwoven in, into it, we will come to see that there was a master craftsman at work and that we would, would come to repent of ever calling into question his great plan. Amen. Let us pray. 
Gracious God of heaven, we thank you so much for your word. And we confess, Lord, that this is, this is hard. It goes against the, the sinful flesh that yet remain, remains in us. That we would truly see your purposes in our, our chastenings. And that we would really believe that they are not in vain. That they do have a purpose for your glory and for your good. We pray, Lord, that each person here who is a true believer, that they would never doubt this. They would cast themselves upon your mercy and upon your love. And even where experience fails, even where knowledge fails, even where we can barely even groan, that you would assure us of your love. We also pray for those here who despise the gospel of Jesus Christ those who consider it an unworthy thing even to think about. There is a God of love who works in such ways through suffering and through grief, even for an unsearchable glory of infinite riches in heaven. We pray that these would not harden their hearts unto their destruction, but that they would be softened. That they would say, what must I do to be saved? And that they would cast themselves upon this mercy for the well-being of their eternal soul. We pray these things in the blessed name.